1: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Father's Day is Sunday, and I spoke with Jeff Daniels about touring with his son's band in 2018. We also discussed Daniels' best comedy roles from The Purple Rose of Cairo to Dumb and Dumber, as well as his famous political monologue in the newsroom. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, You're very welcome. Our listeners know you from your movies, but I know you've been writing and recording songs you know, your whole life, you've done a handful of albums, but how did your son get into it and say, hey dad, huh? let's go on the road?
0: Well, he didn't say that. I, he he came to me when he was 19. Ben is 33 now, and he said, teach me the guitar. I said, great, hear the blues, and off he went. He's had a guitar in his hand the whole rest of the time, and I was doing a lot of solo gigs, because I enjoyed that, and that's how I raised money for my theater company, was to just walk out there with a the guitar, sit in a chair, and, you know, entertain. <laughs> But there was some stuff that I just, man, I wish I had a band. And, you know, initially you go, well, I should get a bunch of guys my age and get a Viagra band, and out I go. And I said, well, wait a minute, my son's got a band, and they're playing, and they're, why don't you throw it at them? And I I asked him. I I was, like, asking permission. I don't want to wreck what you guys are doing. And they jumped right in. And they, they just, it's just a ball, because you throw the song to them, and then you see what they do with it. They 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 half arrange it. That You never say, hey, don't play that F sharp. You just wait to see what Wesley, the, the fiddle player, comes up with. And sometimes it's different every night. It's just thrilling. I just love it. We've gone, you know, in the Northeast a couple times. We did a big swing out West and uh, been in Nashville at least three times. Just, you know, run down there on a tour and play and that We've enjoyed that. We, we, we get around. People keep asking us back, so we must be doing something right.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want to get into the music itself in a second, but just one more little thing on the joy and just the rare gift of getting to be able to share a passion like that with your son. You get to see the country with him. I mean, that's something that a lot of their fathers and sons would probably kill to get to do, and you get to do it while sharing music. I mean, how cool
0: is that? Um, it, it is. It's all of that. It's, it's, you hope your kids will speak to you after they're 20, you know, <laughs> and, uh, let alone be on a stage playing music with you. Um, we cherish it. Kathleen comes with me. Um, it's a really, a uh, 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 it's a family moment. My daughter who teaches high school will join us occasionally. I, it's just, it's the Von Trapp family with RVs. That's what it ends up being. <laughs> and, um, and it's special. We know that it's, it's something to be cherished, and uh, and I think when by playing too, like the third song of the set is a uh, after I kind of open the show solo, I start playing the song called "The Good on the Bad Side of Town," which is stuff my own father said to me, mm-hmm. and then early in that song, Ben, my son, just walks out and starts playing and doing harmonies on it, and so every parent in the crowd is just going to go. Oh, you know, <laughs> we're gonna, gonna be crying. They're gonna feel it. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna feel it, and they're gonna relate to their own kids. I hope in a similar way.
1: Awesome. Well, speaking of the Von Traps, let's go into a little of the do-re-mi's of your music here. If our listeners might not be, maybe some of us are, you know, aren't familiar with your music. Explain sort of the, the vibe they'll hear.
0: Yeah, it's acoustic. It's it's uh, listen to the words, listen to the songwriting because we spent time on that. And uh, I'm here to entertain you. I'm going to make you laugh. I'm going to soften you up, and then I'm going to drop a couple on you that, like back when you were into me, which my daughter daughter-in-law Amanda sings, as well as maybe hard to hear the angels sing, which is which is based on a column that Kathleen Parker wrote in the Washington Post uh, after the election, and she she wrote that you know. It's hard to hear the angels sing right now, and and I I took that and 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 turned it into something that kind of comments on where we are right now. Uh, it lands, it lands.
1: Oh yeah, especially lately. So it's a bit of a protest song, like like the old singer songwriter protest songs of the '60s, kind of.
0: It, it is, and I was talking to Christine Lavin about this years ago, and and she said it's so hard to write a protest song, and and it is, it it's it's. It just goes, It, it basically it says, uh, when your bells of freedom ring after this election, it's hard to hear the angels sing. Wow. That means the way you went about it, how you went about it, who you stepped on to get where you are, that's what it refers to. And you can agree with that or not, I don't really care, but but in, as Kathleen's column noted, that's what you did, and this is where we are. Yeah. And this is the result. It's hard to hear the angels sing.
1: Yeah, I got—I just got goosebumps when you were mentioning that. Um. We it, we've talked to um you know, it's interesting we've we've talked to a ton of people and they, it, a bunch of different actors you know slash musicians that have come to the Birchmere over the last couple of years you know we talked to Kevin Bacon and Billy Bob Thornton and Kevin Costner and Kiefer Sutherland they they've all stopped through the Birchmere similar to you why why do you think it's I don't, it's an interesting trend to me why why do so many actors enjoy having that music outlet I mean it's all creativity but it's it's a totally different form and you know and why do you think that works for so many people including yourself.
0: I it's gotta work for the audience. You can't just come and see us and go, Okay, after ten minutes that's it. You've gotta have the material. And I uh, I think everybody you mentioned, I don't think anybody's looking to take over Nashville. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, we don't have this isn't our livelihood, so we don't have to, you know, pay the bills with our touring every year. I, I get that. So and not to say that the other ones don't do it out of love and passion and, 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 and their art but it's it's different now because some of us can do a couple of things and and movie acting is is once you learn how to do that then it's it's you're really at the mercy of the studios or the networks as an actor, and suddenly you've got this guitar, and you've, me personally, have been around writers and writing and playwrights, and you're just going, I think this is something I want to do. And whoever wants to buy the song or buy a ticket and come and see, great. If you don't, don't. It's okay. You just—it's for the love of it, and and it's that expression. And no one is telling me what to do. That might be—that might be one of the things with all these actors. You have no studio telling you what to do, no marketing department telling you that your set list isn't right. Uh, nobody's telling you, you know, what to cut, what to how to write, how to act, anything. You're complete creative control, and I think that's that's certainly a big attraction to me. And I'll bet it's at least one of the things that attracts the other guys.
1: Yeah, you're not getting called back in to do ADR on your own live concerts. It's live! Um, that, yeah, it's gotta be awesome. Um, I've Just speaking of acting, then we'll wrap it back around to music in a bit, but um, I've always admired your range, man, from serious stuff like Terms of Endearment or, you know, more comical stuff like Purple Rose of Cairo. I mean, how, how much fun was it playing those two roles in that movie? You know, the first, the, the movie characters are coming off the screen, but then also, you know, which really, to me, makes it, is then you also get to be the actor flying in from Hollywood to convince yourself to go back on screen but how how fun was it to be two parts of a love triangle in that
0: (laughs) well just two parts in a in a woody allen comedy um you know at that time 1985 woody was one of the great american filmmakers and and here you are a young actor and and he is going here's the script don't show it to anyone and you read it and you're you have two leading roles in a woody allen comedy Uh, it just doesn't happen so that was um fun wasn't the word because you 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 took it so seriously because you wanted to come through. You kn- I knew it was a huge break and it turned out to be just that. So, yeah, that that one meant a lot.
1: Oh yeah, it was to me it was almost like the answer to Buster Keaton Sherlock Jr, you know, and that one he goes up onto the screen and you got to come off. So you and Buster Keaton in same company, that's not Yeah, bad. me and Buster. There you go. <laughs> well, I I'm so tempted when I was asking about that to do it like the Chris Farley. Remember when you were in Purple Rose of Cairo? That was great. That was
0: that, The first that sketch is, you know, I mean I did that with Chris and it was the first time they did that sketch. <laughs> And and I kept I kept kind of going oh geez Chris and and Lauren Michaels said no 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 endure it just straight man just completely just be so patient with this idiot and it was great and then then it, like 2 weeks later there's Scorsese and then a month later there's McCartney so I'm in good company
1: yeah that's that's great speaking of patience with the idiots my favorite of yours the citizen kane of lowbrow comedy is dumb and dumber man um those orange and blue powder tuxedos man they, they they live on forever but i wanted how much of that with you and jim carrey was was in the script and how much was improvised. I mean, because there's some exchanges there that was, you know, it's like you had extra gloves this whole time. Harry, your hands are freezing. Just all that stuff. But how, how much of a joy was it just riffing off a gym like that and coming up with gold that might have not even been in the Farrelly Brothers script? I
0: think I would, I'd have to look, but I'd say, oh, man, at least 80% of it was uh, scripted. And and Jim would come up with stuff, Um Like in the uh, the Mockingbird song, you know, I mean, triple stamp, double stamp. That was sort of written, but then we just extended it. And then the most annoying sound in the world—that was an ad lib that they kept. Uh, I didn't know what he was doing, you know. All of a sudden, he's screaming uh, nasally, and I'm going, "Oh, that's what? Okay, all right, go." Uh, But not a lot. I mean, Jim was really great about um, making sure that if there was a, if he thought of something, that we set it up right. And also that if there was something that I was doing or that I could do that was funny, he wanted to make sure that he set it up right so it would score. I mean, there was a lot of that kind of back-and-forth precision
1: uh, teamwork going on. Is there a line in that movie? But It's probably the most quoted comedy of my generation, But and your son. But is there a line in that that still breaks you up to this day?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but when Jim looks... In uh, what did he do? He's got that m- newsstand, and he's and he shuts the newsstand. Are the keys in there? <laughs> he leaves something in there, and he just says the word "cripes." C r i p e. Yes, it just cracks me up. Cripes! It just like. I don't know why. I don't know why. Oh,
1: yeah, that's when he's getting the bare essentials, right? To come back before the pets of heads are falling Something off. Something
0: like that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it in so long, but that that always cracks me up.
1: Uh, every time I see Go Skiing, I think of, are those your skis, both of them? It's, uh, it's just great, man. Yeah, yeah
0: there's, there's that scene, yeah. I remember being lit on fire for that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just give me the damn number. Uh,
1: yeah. but, <laughs> oh, I could talk dumb number all day. But uh, just before we bring it back around, I gotta ask you. You mentioned the the protest song. Maybe this is how we bring it back around. The hard to hear the angels sing. Um, I mean, it kind of to me that it, it kind of is of a piece with with your big newsroom rant, the the Sorkin speech. I think it was from the pilot, right? I think it's it's taken almost a viral video life of its. You know, and th- this was before what everything we've gone through, but. it Talk about how geniusly written and and almost admirably bipartisan that whole speech
0: was. I think it was American. Yeah, I, I think that's what where he's coming from, and it may lean to the left, but it's 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 it will outlive us. It will outlive Aaron Sorkin and myself. That Northwestern speech from episode one of Newsroom, it, it, whatever YouTube is, fifty years from now, it'll be up there. You'll find it um, pretty readily, I would think. Um, I knew it when we were doing it that that this this was going to make some noise. Hard to hear the angels sing is similar to that, and I th- I think it goes back further to Frank Rich. I remember Frank Rich, who's a writer, who about six weeks after nine eleven wrote a column somewhere that said, "Where are the artists? Where are the artists to help us understand what's going on? What not? What happened on nine eleven? Where are they?" And Springsteen's a great example. He was driving around New Jersey. Somebody pulled up next to him, rolled down their window, and said, We need you now. Mm-hmm. Drove away. He wrote The Rising. Right. So that landed with me. And so when you're doing that Northwestern speech, you're not just doing something on television or in a movie uh, and then forgetting about it as soon as you see it. It will stay with you. It says something. And Sorkin says things. Um So does Hard to Hear the Angels Sing, which, you know, we got from Kathleen Parker. So it's it's the responsibility of the artists, I think, not to get up and preach, but to illuminate and to throw it into the audience so that when they drive home, they might turn to each other and go, what did you think of that? That's all we're looking for. Absolutely.
1: And uh speaking of 9/11, why should our listeners uh, check out The Looming Tower if they haven't? It's
0: it's relatively recent. Uh Looming Tower is a show on Hulu that um really looks at 9 the lead up to 9/11 and it's based on a Pulitzer Prize winning book by Lawrence Wright. Um uh, and and it's it's fascinating. And uh it's a story you think you know what happened leading up to 9/11, you don't. You really don't. You don't know it it could have been prevented. That's what you find
1: out. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time. You've been more than generous. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. See you. Take care. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.